I can share with you now, uh, something that is a, a need for prayer, although others are here. Uh, Linda Townley, Carol Boner, I have a great need of prayer and strength and support for the ministry they have to their spouses. But this morning, Doug Fisher uh, was sharing with me before worship, and he's someone that I think of as a, as a strong prayer warrior for the church, a great student of God's word. And there's a lot of changes going on in Jean's life. Uh, this past week, he ended up taking her to OSU uh, to find some answers there uh, for the issues she has with her deep brain stimulation and some tremors that have gotten worse and really didn't find a lot of answers there, but in doing so uh, has been exempted from his insurance for the, the care that she needs, and so she's at home with him now. And probably for several Sundays, he will not be able to be with us for worship, but I'm so blessed, one, that he stays to help serve communion, knowing that he has to go and take care of his, his beloved wife. And at the same time, uh, he, as the other two that I mentioned, they need us to be deeply in prayer for them and the struggles that, that they are going through every day. And so before I begin my message, I wanted to spend a little time praying for them, if you would be okay with that. Let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we see or we hear of so many changes going on within Gene's life and within Jerry's life and in Bud's life. And those caring for them, Father, they need an extra measure of strength and grace and supply from you. But we also want them to remember they have a family here that loves them. And so, Father, again, I just ask that you would be what we can never be, that you would be their God, that you would show up in a mighty way to provide for them the strength they need inside and out, the resources they need inside and out, and that you would be the one to move heaven and earth to care for your much-loved children. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, within the Old Testament, there is a passage that I was reading the other day that carried these lines. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And I began to think about the 4th of July and the American Dream, and that's why I've entitled my message this morning, uh, The American Dream. This week we're going to be celebrating the 243rd anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence by 56 men who, who literally put everything on the line for our right to be here today to worship and celebrate our freedom. And yet on this coming July the 8th, the St. Louis Park City Council in Minnesota has to revisit an issue because back on June the 17th, they wanted to remove the Pledge of Allegiance from their meetings because the line One Nation Under God was too offensive and they wanted to serve a more diverse community. Ken has already shared with you how the pledge has been taken out of, of our Congress at this point. 56 men from 13 colonies signed what was basically a death warrant from Britain's King George claiming we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we have watched as a nation as people have pursued those last three things apart from the fact of the one who assures them and provides them. 
They ended that declaration with the statement and for the support of this declaration with the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. John Adams, whose sign said this, whether we live or die, sink or swim, succeed or fail, I stand behind this declaration of independence. And if God wills it, I'm ready to die for it in order that this country might experience freedom. And as you saw here this morning, he wasn't the last one who was willing to die to protect freedom. It was that kind of patriotism that led men armed with little more than hunting rifles to engage in battle with what was then the most powerful nation in the world. And many of our forefathers paid a terrible price in the Revolutionary War and in the wars to come, but they won a victory so that you and I might be citizens of the land of the free and the home of the brave. What we often forget, though, is that in declaring their independence from England, our forefathers made an equally strong declaration of dependence upon Almighty God. As we think about that faith, I want to share with you today such a faith that is based in the Old Testament. I want you to open up your Bibles with me, if you would, as we did last week, to the eighth book of the Old Testament, to the book of Ruth. And I believe in the core of my being, friends, the Bible is the source of wisdom for each and every one of our lives. Amen? And I believe as a source of hope and guidance, it is the source of the past, present, and future for this country. Now, if you remember the story from last week, the book of Ruth started with the story of Naomi and her husband, a guy by the name of Elimelech, and their two boys, Malon and Kilion, from the little town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was not facing a, a silent night, quiet night. In fact, it was a hungry town because they were facing a famine. And you'll recall that Elimelech was in a no-win situation. Stay in Bethlehem where there was no food, but there were people of a like-minded faith. Or pack it all up, you know, leave Dodge and move to the nation of Moab where they had plenty of food. But they would face an oppressive culture against God that was full of idolatry and a belief in many, many little g gods. But that is exactly what Elimelech and Naomi, his wife, decided to do. They loaded up their two little guys and they moved everything to Moab and tragedy stacked upon tragedy strikes once they're in the land of Moab. The first thing that happens is Elimelech, the husband, dies. Now you've got a mother with her two sons living in a foreign land. But they stay put for about 10 years, and then the boys grow up, and, and they meet two local girls, Moabite women, and they marry them, Orpah and Ruth. And these two women, they come with all their baggage and all their little G-gods into their homes. But after being married for 10 years, remember what happened to Malon and Kilion? They died as well. And Naomi has lost now three the three most important men in her family. As I read that story again this week, and I hope you accepted my challenge to look at that in its entirety, I realize some of you, you've been through similar experiences and circumstances. You've had a loved one pass from this life into the next, and you barely had time to grieve their passing when suddenly you lost someone else. And they say tragedies always come in what? Threes. And you lost yet another loved one. 
it's tough enough getting by in this world. But to lose the people you love in succession like that, Naomi and Ruth are devastated, as well as Orpah. They're devastated even though Naomi expresses her pain. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 13, she says, It's more bitter for me than you, my daughters, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. I know about you, but I'm thankful for a God that allows us to express our feelings and emotions even when they may not be true. And even though she felt this way, I want you to notice that Naomi, she kept her focus on God. And she hears that back in her homeland in Israel, the famine is over, and so she makes plans to move back home. She gathers her two daughters-in-law together, and she says, Guess what, girls? I'm going back. You can, oh, you can stay with your families. Make a life for yourselves here in Moab. And the girls talk, and Orpah says, Okay, uh, I'll take you up on that. I'm straight out of Moab. I'm going back. And she goes home. And Ruth says, you can't persuade me. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to stay with you at your side. And what's more, above all, she says, I'm now choosing your God to be my God. No more plethora of little G gods. I want to be part of the kingdom of the one true living God. And Naomi says, how can I say no to that? Now, evidently, Naomi is too old to work on her own now. But what Ruth does for the both of them is she goes out to find food. And now Ruth is the outsider. She doesn't know anybody in this new land, in a new place, with a new home, and a new part of her spiritual journey. She is in a tough situation to handle. And that's honestly where some of you are this morning. Maybe for you, you're emotionally in a foreign land. Maybe it's physically, maybe it's financially. And we've got some ground to cover this morning, but before we do, I want to give you the big idea around this whole message, and that is this. Friends, God rewards those who live wisely. God rewards those who live wisely, whether it is a person, whether it is a family, a church, or a nation. Got that? God rewards those who live wisely. And, and let that sink in. I hope and pray that you live wisely today and in the days to come. And sometimes when you choose to live by God's standard, He will bless you right away. Sometimes when you choose to follow God's path, it might be weeks or months or years down the line before you see that, that reward come from God. And for some of you, you are so sold out in your heart to the Lord and in following Him that it's going to take until eternity for the Lord to reward you. You may not see your reward this side of heaven, but friends, let God be proved true and every man a liar. For the Scripture says in Hebrews eleven six that he who comes to God must one, believe that He exists, and two, that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Naomi had relocated. Naomi is experiencing some of the deepest grief of her life right along with Ruth. And they face a bunch of changes in their lives and in their world around them. Losing a loved one three times over. Moving to a new land. And even though she went back home, Naomi's facing poverty and joblessness. It's tough enough to live for God without those kind of stressors, isn't it, in your life? 
But it, isn't it really tough when you're going through a whole lot of changes in your life? I meet seniors all the time that are going through the changes of, can I still drive or do I have to give up my license? Now that I'm not working, can I make it on what I get on Social Security? What about my health care and how is that going to be taken? Let me just ask you by a show of hands, how many of you like change in your life? Raise your hand. Not one of you. Now I could phrase that a little differently. How many of you like change in your life when you initiate the change? Raise your hand. A few of you get that. Maybe you make the change to lose some weight and you like the results. Or you like your husband's results when he sees that you're losing weight. Right, ladies? Maybe you make some choices to, to live a little different by a different financial standard and you like the way that goes. But when you face changes that you did not initiate, it's not fun. It's hard. And friends, one thing that comes with change, if you're not changing in life, the reality is you're not alive. And you're not growing. And, and, and guess what's going to happen? This summer or this fall or this upcoming winter, you're going to experience change that you did not initiate. And you're not going to like it. The question is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to handle that? You see, Ruth and Naomi, they faced a boatload of change, and they made three decisions, I think, that helped them face all that they were to experience. And I, I'm certain God wants to reward us as his children. But I think we need to answer with these same responses. When facing changes, number one, I think we can decide to be faithful right where we are. Decide to be faithful where you are. When you witness or you've experienced circumstances that you don't want, decide to be faithful where you are. God is faithful. That's a done deal. He's always faithful, period. The question is, how faithful will you be through the pain? How faithful will you be through the changes that come? Here are these two ladies. They are poverty-stricken, but picking up and heading to Bethlehem, they find Israel in the middle of the harvest. And I want to pick up their story in Ruth chapter 2, Verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you'll notice these are not going to be up on uh, the, the overhead this morning because I want you to get into the Word and I want the Word to get into you, okay? Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, it begins this way. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and she entered a field and she be began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And here's an interesting uh, law that you can find all the way back in the Old Testament in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. It's, it's actually a food assistance program that God set into motion for people who were poor but wanted to work. We could learn a lot of lessons from that as a nation. You see, if they were willing to work and, and you wanted to work, you could find a way to sustain yourself by going behind these harvesters and picking up what was left behind the harvest. They were not allowed to go back and glean or, or, or go through the harvest a second time. They were instructed to leave that for the poor in the land. It was God's right thing to do. And isn't it interesting how when we do things by God's plan, 
we're always cared for. And it always works. I've always loved what Alexis de Tocqueville said about America. He said, I once sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I searched in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. And listen to what he says. It was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. When we follow God's plan, God's right path towards goodness, we will find blessing. But if we stop following God, we will cease to be great. Proverbs 14, 34 is a, is, a, is a passage, I'm sure it's going to be in the pulpits all across America today. It simply says, righteousness exalts a nation. But friends, sin is a disgrace to any people. Look at the life of Ruth. She's industrious. She goes out to glean in the field of this man named Boaz. And here's what God is doing. God is continuing to work out his plan in Ruth's life. And she doesn't even know it. Ruth doesn't know it yet. Naomi doesn't know it yet. Even Boaz isn't aware of it yet. But God is working behind the scenes to meet while Ruth is working. How many of you enjoy uh, working with your significant other? How many of you enjoy working with your spouse? You know, it, it tells you a lot. Cheryl and I right now, we're, we are remodeling a bathroom at home, and we're doing it together. And let me tell you something. You learn a lot about another person's character when you're working with them. You want to work well together. Why is that? Because when you're working and sweating alongside each other, you learn where the flaws are. You learn where the character is. And I've noticed in counseling through the years with a couple that cannot get along that, that somebody usually has a problem with patience. Or somebody has a problem with perfectionism or anger or humility. It's when you work together you can see their true colors or their true character. And, and while it is great to meet someone at church, I'm guessing you're not going to see their true character here. But you will see it on the work floor. You will see it on the production line. You'll see it at the business end. Ladies, of a dish or a dusting rag or a vacuum or a plunger. Am I right, ladies? Then you see where the character is. And some people in this world, they're just too full of themselves to serve anybody else. Now, thankfully, we have examples like those who stood up here this morning of women and men who have served this country. And you could see their character. Ruth is working hard and Boaz notices her character. Look, look in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted his harvesters. The Lord be with you. Well, the Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Modern day vernacular, who dat? <laughs> I mean, whoa, who's that hottie out in the field? He notices her, and Ruth is a standout, and he finds out that, that she's a daughter-in-law to Naomi. She's a relative of Elimelech, and he's blown away. Now, why is he blown away? 
Let me just say, if she's attractive, she has been working, sweating in the field all day long. And if she's drenched in sweat and she smells like the field and he still thinks she's attractive, she must really be a looker, okay? But I think he's blown away too because he knows how she's treated her mother-in-law. He knows all about her kindness. He knows all that she's left behind in the land of Moab to come with her and how she has chosen to follow Naomi's God. He finds about her work ethic and her character and he wants to meet her. How many people want to meet you because of your character? How many people that walk in the doors of this church say, that's a person I want to get to know because they're living what Ephesians 4.32 says. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And in verses 7 and 8, Boaz's supervisor tells him this. This girl, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and she's remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. What a work ethic this young lady has. And then Boaz, he gives Ruth the VIP treatment. Check this out in verse 9 as we go down. He tells her, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after, along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Don't give her a hard time, guys. You watch out for her. And whenever you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. And at this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. Now look at verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. One of my favorite pictures of the compassion and love our God has for us that we could be gathered under his wings. The lesson for us to store up from this is this. When we do right, friends, God will reward us in his time. God will reward us in his time. Even when nobody else sees you choosing to do the right thing, God does. And he always rewards. Now, Boaz, he's a man that's blessed with material goods. We're told in Luke 12, 48, for everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. For the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Faithfulness is there for, for Boaz and for Ruth. Back to our passage. Look at verse 15 and 16. As she got up to go, Boaz ordered his men again, let her gather among the sheaves and, and don't reprimand her. In fact, pull out some stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. He makes a way for even more blessing. Now the lesson again, God will reward us in his time. Don't give up on God. He knows your character. He knows your heart. Naomi and Ruth have been through a ton of bad stuff that's happened to them. They've been through season after season of loss going on in their lives. And in spite of that, not once do you hear them blame God. Not once do you hear them lash out against God and say, God, why are you doing this to us? They could have, but they don't. And the, things, the thing of it is, is that God is at work even though, again, they don't know it. They don't have a clue. 
You see, if we're faithful in the small stuff, even through tough times, God will meet our needs. We know as, as married couples, the small things really do matter, don't they? And if we're faithful in the small things, God notices and he will provide for your needs. Now, please notice, I didn't say he'd provide for your wants, but he will provide for your needs. And some of you will find at the end of the summer, you're going to be in a place that you never thought you would be. I mean, just as a warning to some of you, some of you will find yourself this fall in a funeral home and you didn't expect it. Be faithful. Some of you will find yourself, even though they say the economy is getting better, some of you will find yourself in the unemployment line. Be faithful. Some of you, you're going to find yourself on a car lot because that old beater you've been driving for years has finally given up the ghost, and you've got to buy a new car, and guess what? You don't have the finances. Be faithful. Be faithful to God wherever you are. Here's the second decision they made. And we need to do it as well. Notice God in the ordinary. Notice God in the ordinary. We're great about noticing God in the big stuff, aren't we? Man, did you see what God did in that prayer request for that guy? How God healed him? Did you see what God did over here in this place? But what about noticing God in the ordinary? I mean, go back and pick it up in the story in, in verse 19. Naomi, the mother-in-law, asked Ruth, where'd you glean today? Where did you go to work? And blessed is the man who took notice of you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The, man, the name of the man that I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative, and he's one of our guardian redeemers. Now, guardian redeemer, or kinsman redeemer, is a phrase you may have read in the Old Testament before. Again, this is a, a great Jewish law from back in the book of Leviticus. And let me fill this in briefly for you here. The law of the guardian redeemer is this. If a man died, a relative could redeem the land, he could guard the property, and he could marry the deceased husband's wife. He could redeem the land, guard the property, and marry the deceased husband's wife. Why? Well, this was God's way of keeping the promised land in the hands of the promised people. It was God's way of providing for the widow of, of the land. And it's such a good law because it keeps God's blessing, the land, in the family. And a widow isn't left to beg or to glean for scraps. And so Boaz is qualified on both levels. And when Naomi hears about who this is, and she's, I think she begins to understand. She begins to see that God is, is doing something special on their part. And she begins to recognize what you and I need to know. God always does this. God is always working upstream. God is always working upstream, just like when he caused the water of the Jordan to stop flowing upstream so the people of Israel could cross the Jordan River. God is always working upstream. God does so many things in our lives, and we don't see him at work, but he's doing it in the everyday things. Some of you, how many of you have sold a house on the real estate market? Yeah, it, it, many of us have, and many times you see a house not for what it is, right? 
But you go into a home and you, you think about what it could be. You know, it's, it's got a good foundation. It's got good bones to the house. But you know that with a little bit of work, you could make this uh, house into a home. And maybe you fixed it up. Maybe you even raised your kids there until they grew up and lived in that home. You did all the landscaping. You took care of the yard. And when it came time to sell the house, you made more money on the sale of the house. Friends, what I think God is doing, he's taking care of you as you're doing the everyday things. He's taking care of you, and you didn't even realize it, that a greater blessing was coming. Naomi realized that God was doing something special in her life, and she stayed faithful to God in the everyday stuff, and so did Ruth. And I'm saying to you today, friends, stay faithful in the everyday. In the everyday, nose to the grindstone, salt mill kind of stuff. You get up every Monday through Friday, and you go to your job, the same old job, the same old grind you left the Friday before. And day after day, you rise and you do what God has enabled you to do. And you may be tired of it. And you might be working and living by the sweat of your brow. Or you're hauling around kids or grandkids from here, there, and, and everywhere. Or you go home every day to a pile of laundry that almost seems to grow on its own. And you, you realize, I just did laundry yesterday. How's there more laundry today? Or you go home to a sink full of dishes and you pick up the rag and start cleaning. Maybe you could relate to that. Maybe you're making lunches for kids or, or for your family all the time. And whatever the grind is to you, I want you to hear the words that Paul said to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3.23. He said this, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. See, rather than dreading your day because you got to go to work with a boss that you can't understand or a family that uses and abuses you or takes the things you do for granted or rather than complaining about the leaders of our country because you disagree with their policies and personalities, what if you worked and lived and served for the glory of God? What if you got up every day for the God of the universe and you operated a press or you cooked a meal or you pulled a voting lever for the God of the universe? Your day will go a whole lot better because you're not working for anybody's approval but God's. And God can take the ordinary. God can take the mundane and the things that you dread and God can make them extraordinary. Remember that little guy named David in the Old Testament before he was a king? Every day, he was faithful to, to clean, to carry, to feed, to protect, to drive the sheep. When his dad needed a Jimmy John's driver to take food to his brothers, it was little David that got to do that. When David was just ordinary and had only five smooth stones and a sling, it was ordinary David that slew a giant. Remember the baby born in Bethlehem that grew up to be our Savior? He walked out of the tomb to be our Lord. And, and you remember that this morning in communion. But for 30 years, he worked daily in the wood shop. He worked every day in the carpentry business, providing for himself and his family. He swept floors. He cleaned up wood shavings. He listened to the one complaining customer that you could never please. And here we have Naomi and Ruth who could have said, God, everybody else gets the breaks. When are we going to get our break? 
When are things going to start to go our way? In the past seven years, I have spoken on a regular basis with a man that is in his late 50s. And, and let me just tell you, in this man's life, it seems like he never catches a break. If you could think of something that would go wrong, it's probably gone wrong in this guy's life. And every time we talk, it's like counseling Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, honestly. You know? But it amazes me that time and time again, God can work through his and our pain. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God can work through our pain. And I've been telling that to this individual for over seven years, that if you open your eyes, if you open up your life, if you invite God into the pain, God can actually transform this in your life. But time and again, this individual, he sees himself, and it breaks my heart. I mean, look at these two women, Naomi and Ruth. You talk about not getting a break. Famine, unexpected move, foreign territory, three deaths, moving back, still, still an outsider. Three fresh graves turned to what many would say was hopeless. A return home that should have been joyous, but ends up with Ruth picking up scraps to survive. And that brings me to the third choice or decision we got to make. Don't put this up just yet on the overhead because I got to give you a warning on this last point, okay? Um, it involves a four-letter word. Now, I didn't ask the elders about this, so you cannot blame this on them. Uh, I, I don't want this to offend you, but I want to tell you ahead of time, it's a four-letter word, and the four-letter word is W-A-I-T. That's the four-letter word I'm talking about. The, the third choice we have Shame on you for where some of your minds went in that moment. Wait for God to reveal his plan. This 4th of July, uh, we had a new family here last weekend. And they're celebrating last week and this coming week on vacation at our nation's capital. And I'm thrilled for them because uh, the young man, he had never been to, to Washington before. But you know if they stand under the cap of the Library of Congress... They will read there what our forefathers inscribed. One God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which all of creation moves. They knew God's plan was in motion. Our forefathers knew the Lord's return was coming, that all of creation groans in, in eager expectation, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. You can also read there on the dome the words of Micah 6.8. What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with thy God? Wow. How far have we come? Friends, you, you know, I love verses like Psalm 27.14 where it says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Or Psalm 37, 9, for those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who can wait upon the Lord, they will inherit the land. Or my favorite verse, Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 
Now I asked you earlier, who in this room likes change? Nobody did. Who in this room likes to wait? <laughs> I'm sure nobody does. We're not good about waiting. And yet we're all watching for God to work in our life. But how many times do we pray, God, I need you to show up. I need you to work in my life. Would you please work this situation out? Would you please resolve these relationship struggles? But when you do it, God, would you please do it on my timeline? Ruth chapter 3, verse 2. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. And tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So Ruth, here's the plan. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he has lied down, note the place where he's lying and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told, to told her to do. Here's the situation. At harvest time in Israel, uh, at harvest time around Bethlehem, they've reaped the barley, they brought it in, but many times they would sleep there at the threshing floor because after all their hard work, they didn't want somebody coming in and stealing all that they had already done. And so she waits, as Naomi instructed. The day is done. Boaz, he's been hot. He's put in a good day's work. He's tired. He's eaten. He lies down to fall asleep. Now look at verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached quietly. She uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I bet it did. <laughs> he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. Boaz said, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than the one that you showed earlier. You've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you as you've asked. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another one who's more closely related than I. You know what Ruth is doing here in these actions, as strange as they sound? She's proposing to Boaz. She's saying, in essence, would you marry me? Would you redeem me? And you think that marriage proposals are, are a recent invention? I don't think so. Would you marry me? And Ruth has been lying in wait, that four-letter word again, for the right moment when Boaz is well-fed and, and, and he wakes up and she makes her proposal. Now, please understand, as you read through that, and we're going to cover the rest of it next week to finish up, neither one of them are doing anything irregular or immoral. There's definitely some attraction between the two of them. But I want you to notice in this section right here, before we close, I want you to write this down. I want you to take note of it. Even though they could have been immoral, He's on the far side of the grain pile. Nobody's going to know. They guard their purity, and they're willing to wait. Now, that speaks on two different levels today on this pre-4th of July sermon. Number one, they guard their purity, and they're willing to wait is a message for all of our parents and young people. 
who need us to hold the line today. You honor God with your decision to be with someone else. But it's also guidance to us as Americans heading into the 4th of July celebration. If we don't secure the blessings of our liberty, if we don't guard what God has entrusted to us, if we're not willing to wait for the Lord and not willing to look for him, we are inviting disaster. Boaz knows the word of God. He knows the law of the guardian redeemer. He acknowledges that God is at work, and so he doesn't want to cross the line. Ruth knows you can't cross that line and honor this God of Israel. She's come to serve, and she's even a relatively new believer. God has a plan, and friends, we need to know that God will not share his blessing. He will not share his glory with another, for the God we serve is a jealous God. And having a divided heart is not an option in God's plan or in God's eyes. We have to choose to live for him and for him alone. Now people in that time, they knew that Ruth and Boaz were good people. They're godly people. And again in this twist that we're about to find next week, we're going to find that doesn't change. Boaz is going to show his righteousness one more time by honoring someone else in the family who has the first right as guardian redeemer. But it's one more example of how he has made up his mind and his character to live a right life in God's eyes. Have you made that choice? I want to close this morning with a story from 1764. I'm going to go back a little ways. In 1764, he was elected to the Virginia House of Burgesses he became a champion of the frontier people and supported their rights against the arrogance of the aristocracy. In 1774, he was the delegate to the First Continental Congress. And in 1775, before the Virginia Provincial Convention, it was so divided between whether to break free from Britain or to serve England once again and those who desired freedom, he uttered his most famous words, Give me liberty or give me death. During the Revolutionary War, he became the commander of Virginia's military forces. He became Virginia's first governor and was elected to term three more times. He did such a good job that the people wanted him to serve a fifth time. But even though they elected him governor, number five, he refused. He was a man of his word and he said he would walk away so that the people would learn to change and grow. He was offered a seat in the U.S. Senate and post as ambassador, cushy post to Spain and to France. President George Washington asked him to join his cabinet and become the Secretary of State. Later, he wanted to appoint him the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, but again, he refused all honors or recognition. Now, why do I mention those things about Patrick Henry? It's because I want you to realize he was an important and respected leader in those days when our nation came into being. And in a day where our Christian roots are questioned as a nation, where people want to give in to relativism and secularism as a country, we need to go back to the foundation that was laid by individuals like this. He said this, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
His last will and testament is still at the Brook Neal County Courthouse in Virginia. And if you read his last will and testament, you will see that he bequeathed his entire estate to his children, just like many people do. But the last paragraph in his will and testament is, to me, the most interesting. He wrote this. I have now given everything I own to my children. There's one more thing that I would give them, and that is Christ. Because if they have everything I gave them and don't have Christ, they have nothing. Amen. He understood who he was working for. He understood the architect behind that declaration of independence. He understood the one who gave freedom, not simply from a tyrannical king on this earth, but the one who would provide freedom from, from the most tyrannical and seizing hand of all, that of Satan and of sin in this world. He is the one who would not simply open the doors of the cage, but rather break the chains that held us. And we're told by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, it's God who both makes us and you stand firm in Christ. God anointed us and he placed his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it. He believed it so much he would say to the church at Ephesus these words, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The word that he used there is the word for an engagement ring. And like a girl that gives the ring to her intended and says, do not share this with another. We as individuals, and even we as a nation, at first said, we'll take that. Will we share that ring with another, or will we recognize that the one who loves us the most, the one who cares the most, the one who sacrifices the most for us, is the one who belongs at the helm of our life, is the one who belongs as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at the helm of this nation. Friends, this is a time of decision. It's a time where gratitude has its expression, where you thank God for what he's done for you and accept the salvation he offers. It's a time as Christians where you once again renew and say, Lord, I am so glad I've made my choice in you because for the rest of my life, I'll be understanding or trying to understand your choice in me. But God, you chose me. You gave me the engagement ring of your Holy Spirit until our wedding day. God, prepare me for that moment. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. And I want to pray before we sing our, our song of decision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, as much as I love music, growing up with a, a transistor radio pressed to my ear as a child, Hearing that old refrain, this diamond ring doesn't shine anymore. I wonder how much our engagement ring, our connection to your Holy Spirit, our trust in you, our obedience to you, 
How much does it shine today? Some have been walking around in this life. They're not wearing a ring on their finger because they haven't found who they believe the right God is to follow. And really, Father, you're, you're the only one. All the other little G's, they're just products of imagination and wishes and hopes. You're real. You offer the reality of a gift that can never be taken away. No matter how hard this life, no matter how tough this life is, no matter how many decisions we face and circumstances come our way, we get to choose you and, and we get to shine for you. And Father, maybe today is the day that they come and say, I, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to apply in my heart what he did on that cross at Calvary. The body and blood that we celebrated at this table today, that, that was for me. That blood was to, to wash away my sin so that I could have this eternal relationship. Give them the courage, Father, to, to follow in the steps, not just of our forefathers, but of all the saints throughout all time who've chosen you. Father, for those that, that wear the name Christian today, help them individually and as families. Help us as a nation to turn our eyes to you. Help us to be the salt and light that you alone create us to be so that this culture, this society can be seasoned towards redemption, not towards destruction. Help us to not be distracted by all the shouts of, of what could and might be good for us or cure the ills of the society. Lord, what this world needs is not a new plan. It, it needs Jesus. We need Jesus. So help us to be your ambassadors. Father, I thank you so much again for this country. I thank you for the worship that's taking place behind barricades, behind foxholes, behind barrack doors this morning. I thank you for the worship that's taking place where freedoms that we enjoy are not experienced. But they will not remain silent. Oh, they may be in hiding for protection of their lives and their families. But should the door burst open and their lives be placed on the line, they would still choose you. Father, help us to be grateful for what we have, to pray for those who do not have, and to fight for their freedom. And Father, help us to declare our dependence upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.